You're listening to the Informal Bible Study. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 13 together, and we're going to be answering the question, what am I being called to sacrifice? But before we take a look at that, just a couple quick things I wanted to share with you. First of all, if you haven't had the opportunity yet, stop by our recently revamped website, DesireJesus.com, and you can download a free digital copy of my latest 30-day devotional, Desire Jesus, Volume 5. I've been releasing a new edition of Desire Jesus each month, and uh, the most recent edition was just released. So again, you can download a free copy if you head over to DesireJesus.com. A digital copy is available right there for you to download whenever you have the opportunity to do so. And we leave that up there for several weeks, and then it will be replaced with Desire Jesus Volume 6, which is almost complete, but that won't be available for just a couple more weeks. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, we'd invite you to take a look at the crowdfunding link that you'll find in the episode description. Our hosting and our production costs are supported by listeners like you. And if you have the desire to chip in any amount, even if it be $1 or $2 or whatever it may be, to continue the the ministry of this podcast and the Chapter a Day Audio Bible podcast, we'd be certainly grateful for that. And again, the link to do so is found in this episode's description. And uh, again, thank you again for those who have already been doing that. We're super grateful for you. Help. Now, as I mentioned just a moment ago, today we're talking about what kind of sacrifice am I being called to make? And we're taking a look at Hebrews chapter 13. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 6 of Hebrews 13. But before we dig into this specifically, when we think about sacrifices, what tends to, to come to mind? I think in some respects there are probably moments in our lives that we could think back to that we've been able to make some kind of sacrifice to help somebody else out. I know in the context that my wife and I live in, uh, we have four children. Uh, our children are getting a bit older, and uh, as our children get older, um, they eat a lot. And uh, that's probably not a big surprise. You know, they're very athletic and they do all sorts of things. And the oldest two have jobs. And so in the context of their daily life, they're certainly burning a lot of calories and they're certainly hungry. And anytime I eat something delicious and I'm anywhere near them, I can tell that their eyes gravitate toward my plate or whatever I'm snacking on. And uh, inevitably, no matter what I'm eating, somebody asks me if they can have some of it. And of course, because I value their health and their lives, <laughs> I usually share with them because I'm happy to feed them. But I don't think I've eaten a complete meal without having someone mooch a little bit off of me uh, for quite a few years. And I guess maybe, uh, at least in my mind, I tend to look at that as maybe a small sacrifice. But the truth is, there are some legitimate lifestyle kind of sacrifices that the Lord invites us to consider in light of what His Son, Jesus Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 to 6, it gives us a picture of what some of those things look like. So if you would take your Bibles, open up to Hebrews chapter 13, and uh, we'll start with verse 1, and this is what it says in that passage. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. 
Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege to be able to spend a few minutes looking at it together today. And Lord, as we take a look at this passage from Hebrews chapter 13, we pray that you'd help us to understand it. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to apply it. And we pray that by your grace that we would live it out in our day-to-day lives. We're grateful, Lord, for all that you've accomplished on our behalf. We're grateful for everything that we see accomplished for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we look at this portion of Scripture with that in our minds, we pray, Lord, that you give us true insight and true understanding into what we're reading together. So we thank you for all these things, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I mentioned uh, just a few moments ago, today we're talking about this idea of what kind of sacrifice am I being called to make? The concept of making a sacrifice isn't something that's a foreign concept to most people. In fact, when you observe the ways in which mankind has lived and worshipped over the course of human history, it seems that there is some aspect of human nature that seems to understand that some sort of sacrifice needs to be made in life and worship. But it also becomes clear that mankind has also been quite misguided about the nature of the sacrifice God has truly required. During the Old Testament era, the the nation of Israel was told to practice certain sacrifices that required the shedding of animal blood. That wasn't a pleasant process. It wasn't pleasant to participate in. It wasn't pleasant to witness. It was also costly in nature as well. So why then did God require it? Well, the requirement of sacrifice was meant as a tutor, something to educate us, something to help point our hearts to the one who would come and be the ultimate sacrifice, offered once for all, to shed his blood and atone for the sin of mankind. Jesus is the ultimate blood sacrifice. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and all of its pain and its shame to pay for the sin of us all. Now, in our context, we are no longer required to make a blood sacrifice like those who lived during the Old Covenant because Christ has made that sacrifice for us. And likewise, we don't need to make a sacrifice to atone for our sin because Jesus has already done that for us. When we make a sacrifice, we do so in appreciation for who Jesus is and what he has already accomplished. So what kind of sacrifices are we encouraged to practice that can be used to point others to Christ and give them a glimpse of his loving heart? I think there's a few things that are referenced in this passage that we would do well to notice. And the first one is this, sacrificial hospitality. 
Think about that for just a second. What does that mean? Sacrificial hospitality. Why am I, uh, why am I describing hospitality with such a term? Well, look, look again at what it says in verses 1 to 2. It says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Let's pause there for just a second. Do you consider yourself to be um, a hospitable person? I have a friend whose mother truly, legitimately has the gift of hospitality. In fact, the second you set foot on her property, she is very likely, and I'm I'm not really kidding on this, I'm not exaggerating, she'll, she's likely to fill your face with all kinds of food and treats and snacks and all sorts of things. And one of her favorite things to prepare are, are cinnamon rolls that she covers in icing, and they are absolutely delicious. She loves making those things. And I'm convinced that I gain probably five pounds whenever I get within 10 feet of her and her cooking. Well, the writer of Hebrews encouraged the early church to excel at showing hospitality toward each other. And you get the impression when you read the New Testament letters that one of the top priorities for the leaders in the early church was to encourage brotherly love and hospitality toward one another within the church body. Why do you suppose that was? Why was this such a priority? Well, it's evidence of the sacrificial love of Jesus that we have the privilege to show to one another and anyone else the Lord brings into our lives. In fact, the Scriptures challenge us to to also show hospitality, not just to people we know well, but also to perfect strangers. We're invited to graciously share what has been entrusted to us with others. Now, this practice begins with appreciation for Christ, and it continues through the attitude we show each other, and from there it extends into the realm of us sharing food and shelter and other provisions with others. Something the Lord has taught my wife and I is that expressing Christ-centered hospitality to others that we feed or invite into our home has proven to be a great way to introduce others to Christ. It's becoming something that we've practiced for quite a while, as the Lord encourages us to do so. And I'll never forget, after the birth of our our youngest daughter, Julia, uh, my father stopped by our house to visit. Uh, And while he was there, a steady stream of people kept walking into our house. And then he noticed some of the people going into our cupboards and making tea and snacks to share with others. And he was baffled by this. And he said, you just, you just let people come into your house and go through your cupboards? You have more. And then he, this is one of my favorite lines that he said at that time. He said, you have more people coming through this place in one day than I have through my house in an entire year. And it was funny to hear him say that. It gave us a good laugh because, truthfully, he actually is a very generous and a very hospitable person. But really what it was, it was a good reminder to us to take notice once again of something that we had grown used to, the concept of showing hospitality to others for Christ's glory. And interestingly, this scripture also tells us that in some contexts, when believers have extended hospitality to strangers— They were actually showing hospitality to angels without even realizing they were doing it. 
We see some pictures of what this can look like in the book of Genesis, but this unique verse often makes me wonder if we're passing the tests of hospitality that the Lord is intentionally placing before us. But take a look at an example that we're given from Genesis 18, verses 1 and 5. It says this. We read, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant." So they said, do as you have said. It's a fascinating portion of Scripture that illustrates the desire that the Lord had placed within Abraham's heart to show hospitality. And we, in this context of living as the body of Christ, the church family, have the privilege of showing sacrificial hospitality to one another. Well, the scripture we're looking at today from Hebrews 13 gives us another example of sacrifice that we could be practicing right now, and that's the idea of sacrificial compassion. Look again at verse 3. It says, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Being a follower of Christ during the days of the early church was not a casual or a flippant experience. In fact, when you read Luke's account of early church history in the book of Acts, you can read multiple examples of believers being imprisoned, being persecuted, being chased from their homes, and executed because of their faith in Christ and their faithful witness for Christ in the midst of their culture. When someone is imprisoned, It can be easy to some degree to forget them. They're taken away. They're not easy to access or communicate with. And the busyness and the pressures of daily life can result in us focusing on all sorts of other things and then ending up forgetting our brother or sister in Christ who is languishing in chains. The Apostle Paul, in fact, at times felt forgotten when he was imprisoned for his faith. And he expressed how it troubled him, in fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 down to verse 11. Let me read that. He said, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Paul felt forgotten. He felt neglected. He felt like he wasn't really high on the list of priorities of people that at one point he expected to care for him while he was in prison. But those who know Christ are invited to practice sacrificial compassion. We're invited to show our concern for the suffering of others. We're invited to put ourselves in their shoes and to see their suffering through the lens of imagining it was happening to us personally, and then treating them in a way that we know we would crave to be treated if we truly were in their position. I'm always impressed with the faith of those who choose to act upon what God's Word tells us without excessive debate or without making excuses. A great example of this was John and Charles Wesley. 
and their friend William Morgan. They went to college together in Oxford, and they decided, based on the teaching of God's Word, that it was their responsibility to visit those who were in prison. They made it part of their weekly schedule to visit the debtors and the felons who were incarcerated in the castle prison on the outskirts of town. They showed us a a great example of sacrificial compassion, and they were inspired by the Scriptures to practice it. Well, think about your circle of relationships right now. Who do you know that is currently suffering in the midst of that circle, you know, in the midst of of the people that you know and associate with regularly? And what's Christ telling you to do for them? When we look at this portion of Scripture, we see that the church is invited to show sacrificial compassion. Something else that we're invited to practice is this, sacrificial faithfulness. Look again at what it says in verse 4. It says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So this scripture continues by reminding us of another area where we're invited to express a sacrificial spirit. Marriage is something that our Lord instituted, and it's something that he clearly very highly values. In fact, it's designed to serve as a visible picture of the love of Christ for the church. And as the Lord values marriage, we're also directed in Scripture to honor marriage as well. Marriage is quite the learning experience. My wife and I have been married for a little over 19 years, and in fact, I received a message from a friend the other day, and he asked me if I would pray for him and his wife. Uh, They've been married just for nine months, so a little bit less than a year, and he said that they're struggling to show patience and understanding to each other. That's something that they've been really wrestling with right now. And uh, the truth is, when my wife and I think back to that season of our marriage, during the first year of our marriage, we often admit to, to one another that we think we argued with each other a lot more during that first year of marriage. And I've heard other people express this. Um, during that first year, there were a lot of things we had to work through and, and get used to sharing life together in that kind of capacity. But we argued with each other a lot during that first year, certainly a lot more than we argue now. So there's a, a learning curve and a refining process that the Lord brings us through during the course of an earthly marriage. But the Lord wants us to be faithful to our spouses. The way that's expressed in this passage is with the challenge to let the marriage bed be undefiled. And the point of this instruction is to inform us of God's desire that we never invite any form of sexual immorality into our lives or into our marriages. No cheating, no flirting, no, no surfing for illicit images online, no physical intimacy of a sexual nature with anyone other than your spouse. God will judge and hold accountable those who engage in sexual immorality and adultery. When we honor and guard the health and sanctity of our marriages with sacrificial faithfulness, we cherish one of the most powerful testimonies and visible examples of Christ's plan of salvation and love for his church. One other thing that's brought out in this portion of Scripture that I want us to notice is this. In verses 5 and 6, it speaks of sacrificial generosity. 
This is what it says in verse 5 and verse 6. It says, Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So this portion of Scripture speaks of one other area of sacrifice that I think can be referred to as a form of sacrificial generosity. Specifically, we're called to keep our lives free from the love of money. In our world, money can become a very easy thing to love. We know what we can use it for. It can be exchanged for things that we want to own. It can be exchanged for trips or experiences we'd like to have. For some people, it's a sign of personal value and worth. People live for it. People kill for it. People die for it. Christians are allowed to have money and be good stewards of it, but we're told to never love it. Be generous with it, but don't covet it. You don't need it as much as you think you do. If you have Jesus, you have everything you truly need in this world. In fact, we're encouraged to know that we can be completely content in Christ and what he supplies, because he will never leave us nor forsake us. And if our Lord doesn't plan to leave us, ignore us, abandon us, or forget us, what trial do we really need to fear? Tough seasons may come, but he is present with us in them all. Money won't fix our problems. It's better to be sacrificially generous with what the Lord entrusts to us than to be selfishly covetous with blessings that he always intended for us to share. So after looking at this portion of God's Word, what kind of sacrifice can you sense that God is inviting you to make? A sacrifice of hospitality? A sacrifice of compassion? A sacrifice of marital faithfulness? A sacrifice of generosity? Or all of the above? In the end, Christ has already made the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf, and any sacrifice we make is simply an act of worship and appreciation toward Him who already paid the debt we owed and welcomed us into His family forever through faith in Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word, and thank You for the privilege to be able to look at it today. And thank you, Lord, for the reminders that you give to us in this portion of Scripture of ways in which we can show our appreciation for what you've already accomplished. Lord, we know that you came to this earth. We know that you gave yourself as a sacrifice. Lord, you atoned for our sin at the cross. The ultimate sacrifice has already been made. And so, Lord, any sacrifice that we make isn't something that we do to try and gain your favor or to to earn your love or anything like that. We're already recipients of your favor, and we're already beneficiaries of your love. But, Lord, anything we do is simply an act of thankfulness as we just express our appreciation for who you are and for what you've done. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the privilege to be able to walk with you each and every day. And we commit this day and this week to your care. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, if you haven't already downloaded a free digital copy of my latest 30-day devotional, Desire Jesus, Volume 5, stop over at our website, desirejesus.com, and you'll be able to download a free copy right from the website. And also, if you'd like to participate in our crowdfunding by giving a gift of support toward our hosting and our production, the link to do that is right in the podcast description, right in this particular episode's description, in fact. And if you'd like to give a gift of a dollar or really any amount, there's a link to do so right in the description of this episode. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. Looking for ways to stay positive? Brighten your day with the free Story Behind podcast. Hear weekly short stories that showcase true joy, love, and hope. Listen now at lifeaudio.com or by searching for Story Behind wherever you get your podcasts.